Right now, we're in a series called, uh, you know, Basics, where faith and life intersect. Last week, uh, we began to talk about the makeup of man. The, the fact that the, body sa- the, bo- the Bible says that we are body, soul, and spirit. Uh, the makeup of man. The body, we know what the body is. It's what we're standing here, sitting here in today. The soul is our essence, who we are, our passions, and our desires, and our emotions, and our feelings. And the spirit is, it contains our ability to connect with God and the ability to know. Soul and spirit are intertwined yet different. And so today we want to go on with this and we want to really consider the claims of Christ. What did Jesus say about us? What should we be concerned about? What should we know? And so I want to invite you to stand with me this morning and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Matthew chapter 10. Are you ready to grow in the Lord today? Amen. Want to get your face solid today? Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. These are the quoted words of Jesus. He says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. He's, he's showing the difference here. The body can be killed, but they can't touch the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's saying, fear God. Fear God. Today, as we go to prayer, uh, I want us to pray for the Harper family. Uh, we, we're just, in the last couple years, getting to know John and Cookie Harper and our fellowship. John spoke for us uh, here on Sunday morning just a couple of months ago and did a fabulous job. And, and in his message in July, he talked about some of his health struggles that he was struggling with and his trust in God in the middle of all of those. He spoke the next week over at the, at the traditional service on Jefferson Street. And then that week, things really uh, in his physical body took a turn uh, for the worst. John passed away this week. His funeral will be this, uh, this Saturday over in Decatur. And uh, the visitation will be Saturday night. We'll send some stuff out on that. But let's, let's, let's be praying for Cookie and the family. John was a great man of faith and a great friend to our church. And uh, we're going to miss him dearly. So let's, let's pray together today. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. And Father, when we think about John today, we think about the body that has uh, ceased to function on this earth. But a man of faith, a man who put his faith in your son, Father, with a, a, a spirit alive in Jesus. And so, Lord, we know where he stands today. Lord, help us all to know today where we stand. Father, take fear out of our lives today. For those who fear, Father, take fear out of our lives. Father, let us fear only you, nothing else. Father, today let us have a clear understanding in a world that would confuse us about what happens at the end of our life. Let us have a clear understanding, a a biblical understanding of what is true. And Father, if there's anyone in this place who doesn't know you, Father, today let them come to know you and let their spirit be reborn today. In Jesus' name, amen. Is there life after death? If you've been around the church a lot, you know what the church believes. 
But what happens when we die? And what does the Bible, what does the Bible say about all of this? You know, when you begin to look at history and you begin to look at cultures, you begin to discover something that the Bible says that is very true. The Bible teaches us that God has planted eternity in our hearts. In our very spirits, he's planted this revelation, this reality, that we believe that there's something after death. Mankind in every corner of the world through all time has believed in life after death. Indians buried arrowheads and vessels for the dead to use in the afterlife. The Greeks would put a silver obelisk in the mouth of the dead to pay passage to the next life. The Egyptians furnished the corpse with a book of the dead and the prayer that the dead person is supposed to offer and the chart of the journey to the unseen world. The Gauls loaned money. Think about this. They loaned money with the understanding it would be paid back in the next world. The Buddhist burns money and leaves food for their ancestors for the journey to the other world. The Norsemen buried the horse in the armor of the dead to ride in the next life. The Hindu believes that we will go through a series of reincarnations before we blend our, our essence, blends in to the cosmic whole. The Muslim believes in paradise, and the Christian teaches that the soul of man is immortal. And today we want to consider the claims of Christ. That's the core purpose of our being as a church, is to challenge each other, to consider what Jesus says about the very basic core issues of life. And here's what Jesus teaches us. He teaches us that before we accept him as our Lord and our Savior, that we are considered spiritually dead even though we are physically alive and our soul is alive. Our physical body lives. The essence of who we are lives. But the spirit is dead. And that what that means is the spirit is disconnected from God. We are not walking in this connection with God. And so the soul of man and the body of man spin out of the control of, the, of, of God and spin in their own control and it's why we have all the mess we have in the world that we have today. I want you to listen to a passage of Scripture and, and read, read it carefully with me today. And you can circle this on your notes to really remember it and go back and look at it. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to read about 10 verses. Listen to the, what Paul reveals to us by the leading of the Spirit. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
So it says there was a time your spirit was dead. You were dead in the trespasses of sin, and you were following the course of this world. And the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, is a spirit that's now in the work of the, in, in the life of those who are disobedient. We're going to talk about this more next week when we talk about how does the spiritual world, how does the unseen world impact our lives, and what do we do about it? Now, in verse 3, it says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. At this point in time, what was leading us was the passions of our flesh. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you were saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no man can boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, we could plant ourselves right in these 10 verses for probably the next 10 to 15 weeks and discover great things about them and rejoice in them. This is a wonderful revelation of how God moves in our life and who we are. But I want you to see something very specific today. We look in this passage. Do you see it? We are dead in our sin. We are ruled by the passions of the flesh, influenced by the prince of the air of this day, the devil, and we are separated from God. We needed to be raised up to new life. We needed resurrection power in us. This was not the body that needed resurrection power. The body is alive, correct? What needed resurrection power was the spirit The Spirit needed to be born again, and we needed to be reconnected with God that could only happen as a gift of God through His grace to you and me so that we could live up and be lifted up out of earthly things into heavenly things. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So, what happens when we physically die? Well, first thing you got to understand is what the Bible says about the makeup of all things. There are certain things that are immortal. What does that mean? They do not decay. They are not corruptible. 
they will be forever. We live in a decaying world. Just set the fruit out on your table at home and leave it there too long. And what happens? We live in a decaying world. Uh, we live with decaying bodies. How many of you have discovered that to be true? <laughs> Our bodies are not, you know, they reach the point where, yeah, we can all shout hallelujah about that, right? <laughs> the Bible teaches, though, that there are some things that do not decay. They are immortal. In 1 Timothy 1, it says this, To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So what is he saying in this verse about God that's relevant to what we're talking about today? He says God is immortal. God doesn't see decay. God does not, live, does not live in a decaying body. God is not getting less. God is immortal. He's consistent and faithful. Let's go on. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is good news that was preached to you. What this passage is saying is that the word of God is immortal. God's word that is going to go, goes forth is going to be consistent and true, is not going to decay, is not going to be beaten down by or weathered by time. The word of God is something we can stand on and know will be true and will last. So, so the Bible teaches here that, that God is immortal and his word is immortal. That's just a couple of things. And there's a, probably about four or five things that the Bible declares is immortal. But for, for relevance today, I want to get down to one very, very important one for us. The Bible also teaches that the soul of man is immortal. That he breathed into us a breath of life, and we became a living being. That this soul is going to exist have essence, the essence of who you are is going to be. Now listen to a couple of passages with me. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another up and build one another just as you are doing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we are always, so we, we are always of good courage. 
We know that while we are at home in the body, which is what we are right now, we know that while we are at home and we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So what he's done, what the essence of him has used this body to do is going to come under judgment someday. Philippians chapter 1. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the, the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. So here we begin to see this. We begin to understand this. The body that we have today, the one that you possess right now and that I possess right now, is temporary. You're not living in an immortal body right now. You're living in a temporary body. No matter how much you take care of it, no matter how many times you work out, no matter how much you know, of good food you choose to eat, and no matter how much you, you know, neglect the cupcakes and the pies and all of that, you still live. You may, you may live a little longer, you may live a little healthier, but you still live in a decaying body. We can't stop it. This body is temporary. That's what we live in. But the inner man, the essence of man, this combination of soul and spirit, the inner man, is immortal. It's going to live for eternity. It's going to exist for eternity. So what happens, let's talk first of all to the believer when the believer dies. We talked about this last week. What does it mean to die? It means that the body and the essence of man, the soul and spirit of man, are separated from this body. This body stops, and the soul and the spirit of man are separated from it. Well, let's look at a few scriptures and what the Bible teaches about what happens to men. John eleven twenty five 25 says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet, he shall, yet shall he live. What's it talking about? It's talking about the essence of who we are. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is what Jesus is asking. Do you believe it? Do you comprehend this? The inner man, when the inner man, the, the essence of who we are, when the physical body dies and the believer who has been resurrected to life by the power of the Spirit of God and his spirit is now connected with God, when that man's physical body stops functioning, 
His spiritual and soul is going to continue to function, and he is, what this scripture says, with God. With God. In Hebrews chapter 11, you read a list of the heroes of faith. We call it the Faith Hall of Fame. You can read down there and read about some great men and women who, who walked in faith. And then you come to Hebrews chapter 12. And Hebrews chapter 12 says, therefore, pointing us back to the people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance in the race that is set before us. One of the arguments that the writer of Hebrews presents to us to turn from sin and to walk in faithfulness is that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who are observing the things that was going on on this earth today and are watching the things of this earth today. You know, I, I just have this picture in my mind of believers of our fellowship who've gone on to be with the Lord, and they have a specific interest in what's going on in our lives, our loved ones, our friends, and they're a witness to what's going on in our lives. Now, listen, I want you to capture this because we, we need to understand. Some say that death, that at death we will sleep until the Lord comes. But what about the scriptures we just read? And what about this scripture? How is there a great cloud of witnesses if our soul sleeps, if there's no existence, until the Lord returns? No, souls are eternal. Now remember, our souls and spirits are immortal. Even though the spirit of man is dead, separated from Christ in him, that spirit is still an immortal part of our essence. So those, those two things, that soul and spirit is going to exist. Now what about the body, this physical body? Well, we know the body dies, but let's, let's capture this a little bit better. In Genesis chapter 3. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and now to dust you shall return. What, what, what was created out of the ground? Remember what was created? God reached down and formed us out of the ground. He made us out of the ground. Then he breathed into us the breath of life. What was formed out of the ground, if the Lord tarries, what was formed out of the ground is going to return to the ground. What was created out of the ground, the body, is going to return to the ground. It is the body that sleeps, but the soul is with Christ. So what happens, what happens to the body? What's going to take place with the body? We see this great revelation of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul writes, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood, 
our body, flesh and blood, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Not all of us are going to, not everybody is going to die. We shall not all sleep. But we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body, get this, must put on immortality. So where the spirit and the soul is with God, with the believer, the body is still in the grave. But the day is going to come when Christ, when God says, enough of this mess, and he looks at the archangel and he says, blow the trumpet and get my children. And when he blows that trumpet, when he blows that trumpet by the power of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. What's going to happen? Their bodies will put on the imperishable body and their spirit and soul will be reconnected with that imperishable body. Those who are left alive will be changed in an instant. And this perishable body, body that we have will suddenly in the twinkling of an eye put on the imperishable bo bo body and we will go to be with the Lord. So at the coming of the Lord, the body will be called out of the grave to put on immortality. This is the teaching of what Jesus gives to us. When we receive Jesus, we receive everlasting life. Not to be confused with simply everlasting existence. Everlasting existence is already ours. Everybody's going to exist forever. Everlasting life only comes to us through Jesus. Every person you see, every person you know, every grandson, granddaughter, every aunt, every uncle, every mom, every dad, every co-worker has everlasting existence. They have the breath of life in them. They have a soul. They have a spirit that's going to exist forever. But everlasting life is the gift of Christ. Everlasting life is the full-orbed, glorious existence that was meant for man. The fullness of being that God has for us. The completeness of purpose. The answer to all desires and the overwhelming joy of the presence of God in our being every moment for all eternity. To never be bored, to never be sad, to never be frustrated, to never be hurt because of God's eternal greatness living in us. God's eternal greatness going from glory to glory to glory to glory 
but never ending because God's greatness is never ending. And while we walk with him as people in the garden of his blessing, we will have the fullness of life, life everlasting in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Amen? Bless the Lord. All the wants, all the hurts, all the things behind us, all the, 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 the desires that leave us wanting and, and hurting and needing and, and wishing for more, fully answered in increasing measure by the greatness of God. But what about those who are rejected, who have rejected Jesus? In Luke chapter 16, it says this, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Some have called this a parable, though Jesus never puts it that way. Jesus tells it as a story. But let's say it's a parable. A parable was simply a teaching tool that Jesus used to show us how the kingdom of God worked. So if Jesus is telling us an actual story or a parable, the truth is the same. The rich man, who happened to be a wicked man, was in Hades separated from God, a place of torment. Scripture teaches us that to die in Christ is to be with Christ. And to die without Christ is to be separated from Christ. The righteous are with Christ. They're identifiable. If you saw your relatives, you'd know them. They're identifiable. They're doing things. And as we said, they're being witnesses to this earth. The wicked also have eternal souls. Some religions, some groups teach that the wicked are totally annihilated and they have no existence after they die, but that's nowhere can you find that in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that. Some teach that God, and when we get to heaven, God just forgives everyone. If that's the case, then why did Jesus have to go to the cross? If everybody was just going to be forgiven anyway, what was the need of Jesus coming and dying for us on Calvary? What life, do, what extra life do we get because Jesus came? Here's the simple truth. If there is a heaven to hope for, if there is a heaven to hope if we put our faith there and say, I believe there's a heaven, I believe that people can go to heaven, I believe that people can spend eternity in heaven, I believe that our souls are eternal and going to live. The same terms that are used in the Bible to describe heaven, the same words that are used in the Bible to describe the spirit and the soul of man living for eternity in heaven. The same descriptions used to describe the glory and the wonders of heaven and the eternity, eternal life of heaven describe the spirit and the soul in hell. Separated from God. 
I can't dismiss one just because I don't like the message. I've got to realize that the message is the same. So the question comes down to what, what do you believe? You know, I never, I never want to leave an impression that I was a great witness in high school. I loved God. I, I tried to live for Jesus and myself at the same time, which is absolutely impossible. If cornered uh, by, by my friends in high school, I would, I would come out swinging for my faith. I wouldn't back away from it. Uh, but I had to be cornered most of the time. And sometimes that happened. I remember once talking to a fellow student who, uh, who actually told me, he said, I want to go to, I want to, go to hell. And I was like, what? I mean, what? See, I, I, I want to go. I said, why in the world would anybody want to go to hell? He said, all my friends are going to be there, and we're going to party and drink beer all through eternity. And, you know, I don't remember exactly how I put it. I know I said something like, friend, there's no partying in hell. It's not just people with a different opinion living a different lifestyle. That's not what we got here. We don't just have people who love to worship and praise God and be in his presence on one side and people who want to party and drink and live any way they want to on the other side and everybody's kind of left of their being. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible teaches us that as we get an indestructible body for heaven, we get an indestructible body for hell. One that can take the torture, the torment, the punishment of having rejected God and still exist and be and still walk and still live in the midst of all the suffering. There are no parties in hell. There are no friends talking about the good old days in hell. There are no games to play in hell. There are no goals to reach for in hell. There's no pleasure, only torment and regret. A full recognition of all the signs that were around us of God as we walked upon this earth. And all the, the people that talked to us, all the things that we saw, all the creation around us, our very essence and our very being, and wondering how could we have missed it why did we sell out for such a temporary, momentary thing? Jesus paints hell in the worst possible terms. Nothing, nothing on this earth is worth giving up heaven for. The eternal soul goes immediately to hell to await the final day of judgment and to receive a body fitted for destruction. Just as, as our spirits are not fitted yet with the indestructible body, their spirits are not yet fitted yet with the, with, with the indestructible body for an eternity separated from God. To receive an eternal body fitted for destruction. Some ask, how could a loving God send people to hell? And my answer is always the same. He doesn't. He sent his son to rescue us from that place. He sent his son so that no man has to go there. He sent his son so that everyone who calls on his name can be saved. He sent his son so no one has to 
face the result of our sin and what is due to us for our rejection of God and for our bodies living a life by the passions of this world influenced by the God of this age. He pours right down in the middle of all of our junk and he sends his son to rescue us and give us life everlasting. He has granted us living bodies and living souls in the emptiness and the pain of a broken world. And he has sent his Son and his Spirit to reveal the answer to the cries of our heart. He put a touch of eternity in us so that we would think and seek and then discover him while we walk upon this earth so we can have everlasting life. And friend, if the soul is so hard and so untouchable by God's Spirit here, If the man is so selfish and so self-seeking and turns from God's wooing here in the midst of this world, an eternity in hell won't make him any softer. Many have felt the tug of the Spirit, but pride has kept them from responding. Many have felt the tug of the Spirit and said, in the future, someday, I'll cry out to God. And that future's never come. The Bible says the road to destruction is broad while the gate to heaven is narrow. It's only through Jesus. Let's stand together today and let's pray. Prayer teams, if you'd come down front right now, please. Father, your word reveal such an amazing picture to us. And Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that you don't just say it to us, but you let your spirit be here among us to bear witness to us that when we hear it, the believer's soul leaps at the truth and rejoices. And that when we hear it and those who are far from you hear it, that your spirit beckons them, speaks to them to come to you. And so, Lord, today I pray that faith would live in our hearts and no one, not one believer, Father, would live in fear of death, but that we would know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, we're talking about where life and faith intersect today. Let us be people of faith. And Lord, we pray today. For we know you would draw men and women into this place and pride would keep them from responding. Father, maybe some argument they've heard would keep them from responding. Father, maybe some will of the flesh would keep them from responding. Maybe some thought of tomorrow. Lord, I pray today that your spirit would call them once again. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You'll say, Pastors, you've been praying today. I know. Well, I just feel this tug in my heart. 
I need to be born again. I need to receive Christ as my Savior. I need to receive this gift of Christ in my life. And I want to receive that gift of Christ in my life right here, right now, today. If that's you, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me today. Just pray for me today. I want to receive that gift in my life, wherever you're at right now. Yeah, God bless you. I see that hand. Anyone else today? You raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to be certain today. God bless you. I see that hand. Anyone else today? You raise your hand and say, pray for me. Pray for me today. Father, I pray for those who've raised their hand. These next few moments, I pray that as others come to this altar, that they will come and, and, and talk with someone here. And Father, just very simply invite you into their life. But now, Lord, I pray for those of us who are believers, who believe this with all of our heart. And Father, you touch us. As every head is stay bowed, every eye closed, you say, Pastor, what you talked about today, I believe. I sense it in my spirit. I believe it. Raise your hand real high right now. In the name of Jesus. I believe this. This is what I believe. Jesus asked the question, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? All right. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, you see our hands. We believe. And we live in a world that is far from you. We live in a world where people who have eternal, immortal souls that are spiritually dead are all around us. Father, it's not easy. It's not simple. But I pray that you'd put a new flame in our hearts, a new fire in our spirits to be a witness for their sake to live for your glory in everything we face and everything we do so that others will see your glory in us. Use our words, use our actions, fill us with boldness. Father, let us not be the people who wait till we're cornered, but let us be the people, Father, who seek out the opportunity to be a witness for your glory. Let us leave no one around us under deception. But let us compel every person in central Illinois to seriously consider the claims of your son. For, Father, we believe that if they do that, your spirit will beckon them and call them and reveal the truth to them. So help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. We have prayer teams down here today. And uh, this morning, if you have any need in your life, maybe just the need is God's been speaking to you about being a better witness someplace in your life, and you need the boldness to do it. Maybe it's a physical need. Maybe you're one of those folks who raise your hand. You want to make sure your heart's right with God. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you're wondering if your heart's right with God. While others come, as we sing this song, you step out and come as well and let somebody pray with you. We're going to sing this song while people are coming. And then in just a moment, uh, Dan will dismiss you to, hey, we love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful time tonight.